0: In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion that we started in the previous episode, which is Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15, and we got through the first part of verse 17 in that last discussion, and what we're talking about is this idea that major life changes provide a unique testing ground for faith to be proved. In verses 15 to 17, we saw that past sin may provide a temptation to manipulate the situation, and we saw indeed that the sins of Joseph's brothers from their past over two decades prior, in fact, uh, it was 20 years before they were reunited and another 17 years uh, before Jacob's death, so we can actually argue that it's almost four decades, 37 years have elapsed and that is coming back uh, to to test them once again as they are tempted to and even attempt to manipulate the situation to their own benefit, not realizing that they could be depriving themselves of the benefit, which they're going to discover here shortly. The point is, is Joseph's faith is not on the line here. He has come through shining as gold, as we said. Uh, He will come forth as gold. He has come forth as gold. But unfortunately, they do try to manipulate the situation to their own end and for their own causes. All right, they recognize their sin. They recognize their past choices brought real deserved consequences, and they attempted to manipulate the situation. But now as we continue the text in the very last part of verse 17 down through verse 21, We see that mature faith is strengthened even when faced with the opportunity to sin. So they don't have the mature faith. Uh, Who does? That would be Joseph, right? So here's how Joseph responds. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So mature faith is strengthened even when faced with the opportunity to sin. We see here that humility is a mark of a godly leader. The end of verse 17 says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. It's probably the emotion of thinking back on all the pain that he had been through. Some of the events that he went through could scar a person for life. Today, with modern counseling, Joseph would probably be diagnosed with some sort of PTSD for what he suffered at the hands of his brothers and Potiphar. And on the other hand, as a mature believer whose faith never wavered, there is also the possibility that that this emotion is due to the realization that while he has moved on, his brothers haven't. Joseph knew they had sinned, of course he did. And this is why he tested them back in Genesis chapter 44, to see whether they would treat Benjamin as they did him. Was there any honor left in the family had they learned their lesson? Reuben had come to his aid in Genesis 37 verse 21, saying that they shouldn't kill him. Then he had gone off to do something to prepare to rescue Joseph, but when he came back, Joseph was gone, and Reuben didn't know that he had been sold to the Ishmaelites at the suggestion of Judah, Genesis 37, 26, who also said there was no profit in having their their brother's blood on their hands, and yet the text seems to indicate that when Reuben returned and was distressed, there was no offer of explanation from his other brothers. All this is packed away in genesis 37 now note what joseph didn't do he didn't immediately pay them back verse 15 for all the evil that they had done or ever and perhaps this was in the thinking of the other brothers because this is how they might imagine reacting which just goes to show the difference in spiritual maturity between them It was certainly within Joseph's power to do something like that, but he didn't. Now, what can we learn from this? Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. One of the things we have to recognize is that while we may be inclined to think that way, our thinking, our very thinking towards that subject may be indicative of of the fact that we still need to deal with some sins internally because not everybody thinks that way. And just because we think that way, just because we're clouded that way and we're inclined that way, doesn't mean that everybody is. And it's clear that Joseph's thinking here is what we would call sanctified, and theirs isn't. And so while they're saying, you know, 37 years after the fact, you know, he's never really taken revenge on us. And even after he discovered us and he kind of, yeah, he put us through a little test there at the beginning, but that wasn't much. I mean, if I were in his shoes, man, I'd bring the gauntlet down and it would be just, it would be rough, right? That's what they're thinking. And so they're thinking that the shoe is still about to drop, but the fact of the matter is it's not ever going to drop. That's, That's just simply prideful thinking. That's their sinful and clouded thinking. And that kind of thinking will set you up for destruction uh, and a fall, as we just read about from Proverbs 16, verse 18. So humility is the mark of a godly leader. Joseph is humble here as he hears his brothers say this. He doesn't even confront their sin. That's uh, interesting here, or this lie, you know, that the father commanded, right? Jacob commanded them before he died saying you know, to Joseph that he must forgive his brothers. He probably would have been aware of that because he had the opportunity to go in and be with him on his deathbed. And Jacob never said anything like that. So that leads us then to this in verses 18 to 21, that mature faith recognizes the invisible hand of God in all things. We are all the same before God verses 18 and 19. His brothers also came down fell before him behold we are your servants but Joseph said to them do not fear for am i in the place of God? I'm I'm just like you. I I don't have that power. Okay? We're we're all the same here. Now, we have a New Testament verse here that reiterates this idea that we're all the same. Galatians chapter 3 verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, there is also a theological truth behind this incredible orchestration and sovereignty of God, and we see that coming out in verse 20. Here's what Joseph says, and I love this verse. I have it highlighted in my Bible. I have it highlighted in my Bible software. I mean, I just, I I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So this great theological truth is that they meant evil against Joseph. Now we know that to be true. But here is the incredible truth of the sovereignty of God is that God's sovereignty can supersede, can overpower, can overrule our evil intentions. And he can do that with anybody. So the evil that an unbeliever, a non-believer might mean against you, God can turn that to good. Now, was Potiphar a believer? No, no. So he would be subsumed in this, right? Potiphar's not a God fearer. Did Potiphar treat Joseph well? No. Did Potiphar do thorough investigation, you know, in in light of what we know of the truth of, you know, that comes out in Proverbs. The first man is right until the second comes and examines him, right? <laughs> we have those we have those truths, right? That come out and they help us navigate our way through life. That uh, everything sounds great. The first one to present his case is convincing. And then another comes along and wait a second, there might be another side to this story. And these are things that we really ought to consider. Even if all of the so called facts or the circumstances seem to point to one conclusion, one conclusion only, maybe it's worth digging into to find out the other side of the story. And I can't tell you how many times that principle and those verses and Proverbs have come out to help me because I will hear a story and it's very, very convincing. And then I think before I say anything, I better go get another side and see if somebody else has a different perspective on that. And lo and behold, they do all that to say, could Potiphar have done this a little better? Could he have handled the situation a little better when his wife made such a horrible accusation? Could he have thought, you know, that is not, In keeping with what I know of Joseph. I've never seen Joseph behave this way. That doesn't seem right. Maybe there's a different side. He could have, but he didn't. And so what did he do? He threw him in jail, uh, in prison actually in, in the Pharaoh's prison. So he treated him harshly. Was that meant for good? No, he just was trying to be, you know, he was just trying to punish him. And so it was definitely punitive. It was meant for evil. And yet even that God meant for good. So coming back, We say that what his brothers meant for evil produced other things that were meant for evil in his life that probably wouldn't have happened, right? If his brothers hadn't sold him to the Ishmaelites, would he have ended up in prison in Potiphar's house and then eventually in the jail of, uh, or the prison of of Pharaoh? Probably not. But all of those things that were meant for evil in his life, God turned and manipulated and guided so that they produced evil ultimate good. The truth is, is that God meant it for good, ultimately resulting in, and here's the big picture, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph had the incredible wisdom to be able to look back over the sum of those decades and see that there is a sequence of events That had those things not happened, it would not have led to them being where they are today. Would those seven years of plenty have come, followed by the seven incredibly harsh years of famine? Yes. What would have happened had he not been sold to the Ishmaelites, taken into Potiphar's house, cast from Potiphar's house into Pharaoh's prison, and then eventually into Pharaoh's service? Well, he would be with his other brothers experiencing famine. And there would not be an Egypt to go down to because no one would have known about the famine. They all would have had the plenty and Egypt would be suffering along with the rest of that part of the world with the famine and then people would have died. And so he sees the big picture of this, that many people, right? God meant it for good. We don't just stop there. We do kind of principially when we go back and think about things, right? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In Joseph's particular case, and in the case of his brothers, it wasn't just good in a general way. God meant it for good to bring about or to bring it about that many people, and that many people is all of Jacob's family and almost all of the Egyptians and a lot of other foreigners that came in and were able to profit from that and stay alive because of Joseph's wisdom that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, think about this, as Joseph's making this statement, it is also many, many years past the the famine, so that has all had a chance to recover, and there are people alive now some 17 years or 10, 15 years, whatever it is, after the close of the famine. There are a lot of people that are alive in the land today directly because of that, and hopefully they're all going to remember that even to their graves and pass that on to their children, that we are here because of the actions of one man. And that one man, every time he's given the opportunity, doesn't take the credit for himself. He says, no, this is not me, it is God. Incredible lessons uh, that, that we can learn from that. Now, in summary here, the theological truth about what God meant was not known to Joseph until Genesis 46. 20 years after it had taken place, he finally realizes as he's there in the, the courtyard in the, you know, the Royal room of Pharaoh and they're coming before him and bowing down. And he realizes his dreams are coming true. And now he's in this position. This is all dawning on him 20 years after the fact. Now he's having this conversation some 17 years after that. And what does that teach us? Well, that teaches us that we can go decades without an answer. And we really have to stop and consider and ask ourselves a question. Are we okay with that? Are you okay with that? If you have a question of God and you are questioning why something has been allowed in your life to happen, something that you perceive as awful and a terrible event, and it has produced a a season of pain and hurting and suffering in your life. Are you content? And I don't mean like happy and go lucky type of uh, attitude here, but are you theologically satisfied in the goodness and the sovereignty and the providence of God that he truly is in control no matter the suffering that you have experienced and not knowing what that will produce in your life in the short uh, or long term. And by that, I mean, you know, if you go decades without an answer, that's decades of suffering. Well, here is another way that that could work out. That could mean that maybe your suffering is never alleviated and you leave this earth in a state of suffering and you may not know until eternity what that suffering has produced, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others for good. And then to wrap all of this up we would turn to Romans chapter eight, verse 28, for we know that uh, God works all things together for good to those that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Doesn't work all things out to good for every single person on the planet, but for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, he does. Well, what does that mean? It means that he works it out for ultimate good. He who has begun a good work and you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ up to, leading up to and to the point of your death, your graduation to heaven, God is working things out for your good. He has begun a work in you, which will culminate in your heavenward home going journey. And you don't know how that work is going to affect other people even after your departure. It could be after 10 or 20 or 30 years that God allows you to see some of the product of that that he allows you to see some of the fruit of that suffering. But still, we should approach all of the suffering in our life with this attitude that God is in control. God has the ability to use that not only in my life, but in the lives of others for ultimate good. And we have to be able to lay hold of that and to say, yes, this is true even in my life. Now, verse 21 We learn that mature faith acts on this knowledge, not on revenge. Once you have this theological truth, you need to act on your theology. What good does it do to read your Bible over and over if it doesn't change you, right? So once he states this theological truth, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Well, what does that do then? How does that translate to my daily living? well, it translates this way. I'm not going to take vengeance, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to repay them, right? So he says in verse 21, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Uh, we're reminded of this principle from Romans chapter 12. Which is a quotation from the Old Testament. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I think Joseph, even though he didn't say it exactly that way, understood that principle, and as he had stated uh, so eloquently under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, that he is now living that out, and he is choosing not to take vengeance uh, on his brothers. Beautiful lessons here for us in verses 17 to 21, that major life changes provide unique testing grounds for faith to be proved. Past sin may provide a temptation to manipulate the situation, but mature faith is strengthened even when faced with the opportunity to sin. All right, that's all we have time for today. We'll pick up the text once again in the last section of Genesis chapter 50 as we pick it up in verse 22. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website, at gfbc.net